Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing well. We've got a little bit of more casual energy this time around. I'm sitting for the first time while we record. I know. This is really weird. We have, uh, after almost two years of doing this podcast, we're like, hey, stools. I know. We should have those. We usually give guests the opportunity to sit if they want to, but I, I usually stand for these. So this is my first time sitting. We'll see if the energy is different. We'll see if we like it. Now we'll, that we're we'll sitting and comfortable, this podcast might be seven hours long. I know. We're just going to talk and talk and talk about whatever we want. Speaking about talking, there's a bunch of stuff going on this week and has gone on in the last week that we're covering in the Pulse this week. First thing, this is something that we kind of have known about under the covers for a little bit, <laughs> but Al Johnson's has bought the Casperson property in Stray. Yeah. Al Johnson's is getting into the funeral home business. No, not really. Al Johnson, it's a funeral home with the goats on the roof. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's a great idea. I have to trademark that phrase now. No, Al Johnson's is buying the Casperson property, which is located uh, just immediately north of the Al Johnson's property and parking lot. Casperson's Funeral Home has been in the center of Sister Bay since 1921. Uh, I talked this morning to both Lars Johnson and Greg Casperson about it. For Greg Casperson, I, I really just wanted to know, like, man, when your family's been in one property for a century in the center of a town and had the kind of integral role that they have, what's that like And to not be doing that? And he said, yeah, it's just it's going to be weird to drive through town and, and not see that Casperson name on that building and, and not see it, that you know, those family ties. But he's ready to retire. His wife's ready to retire. They sold the funeral home business about this time last year to Hewn's Funeral Home. And Hewn's is going to maintain their office in that building for probably at least 60 days from um, what I've been told are currently looking for other properties to still maintain an office in Sister Bay. So those wondering what's going to happen from the funeral home side of things, are we just going to be without one in Northern Door? It seems it sounds like they're planning to maintain a, a presence in Northern Door. So it doesn't mean that, you know, people dealing with grief and loss, you know, they're still going to have a place to go. Right. Uh, as far as what's planned for it, there are no firm plans as of yet, according to Lark Johnson. The the property, is it like right up next to Al Johnson's? Is it the next lot over or is there something in between? Yeah, so it, it is right next door. If you're looking at Al Johnson's from the highway, there's the parking lot to the left of the building. And then behind that, there's like some ponds and stuff. That's all Al's property. And then the next one over is the Casperson family home and the funeral home. And then on the other side of that is actually another property owned by Annika Johnson. So it kind of just makes it continuous Johnson compound right there. Yeah, it's interesting to see that type of expansion because like with wild restaurants, you see expansion all over the county in different areas. They have wild tomatoes now in Sister Bay, Fish Creek, and Egg Harbor. But to expand just all within the same kind of conglomerate is interesting. I wonder if it's making room for the Al Johnson's Resort and Casino. <laughs> I, I don't think a casino is on the way. One thing Lars did say, even though they don't have a solid 
plan yet. They said people could expect a plan that continues the architecture and style that Al Johnson's has had. They're currently expanding to the south of Stabur. Not expanding. They're putting another kind of log style building there as a retail outlet that'll be going next summer. So he said they're going to keep it in line with the village planning has said they want in the downtown, which is lodging with a mix of retail to continue. You know, it won't be a big continental development. He said it's not going to be a, a four-story massive development. It's going to be that kind of uh, some sort of medium size is probably the max they would go with. Again, that's all just kind of spitballing. That's uh, the ballpark plan. But my hunch is people can rest assured that there's not going to be a massive condo up against the highway in that particular location. Right. Whatever the Johnsons decide to do, it'll probably fit within what they've done already. Yeah. And if you're a fan of Stabur, you'll probably be a fan of whatever their next project is. That's my best guess. Cool. Well, that's exciting. Moving down to Sturgeon Bay, Jim Schusler resigned at the DCEDC, Door County Economic Development Corporation. What was Jim's title before he resigned? Executive director. Okay, just wanted to clarify that. How long has he been at the job, and uh, what did he tell you about his resignation? He's been there about 18 months. He's taking a new position in Arizona. Uh, he said he has a lot of family that have sort of like stationed themselves in the southwest part of the United States and got an opportunity to move closer to them. And so he jumped at it. He did have great things to say about working in Door County and working with his staff at DCDC. There has been a fair amount of turnover there in getting what he would say is like the right people in the positions there right now. And they just launched, it's kind of, it's odd timing. They just launched their Live Door County campaign, new website and new logo. You know, they've had a couple of big news items. Jim, in his time in Door County, has been very public in his support for broadband and really vocal in trying to get some affordable housing progress going. He's spoken up at a lot of public events and he's made it a, a lot more a lot much larger presence in northern door than dcdc might have had in the past so it's going to be interesting now another change there because you know bill shedwire was there for the first like close to 30 years of that organization and then he retired and then caleb frostman came in caleb was only here for a year or two before he went on to run for state senate and then jim only here for 18 months so they've had you know a couple of rounds of turnover at that top position, and then a fair amount of turnover on the staff. So it's going to be interesting to see how that hiring process goes and, and who they bring in and what the future of for Door County Economic Development Corporation is. Like, how do they try and get somebody who's here for the long haul? Because so much of what that organization does is it's not short-term uh, projects. These are projects that take years and relationship building and tax credits and subsidies in many cases and working with developers and and doing things over over the long haul. Right. You really want somebody to come in and make Door County their home. Maybe they'll use Live Door County as their recruitment tool to find. Yeah. Yeah, On the plus side, they just came up with a new recruitment tool to go after their new executive director. Right. you know, it, it's interesting that you mentioned how, how things are changing very rapidly over there. But maybe maybe this is a sign of, you know, slowly finding a, a place. You know what I mean? Like, You've had all this turnover, but you've had now this new thing that was launched and the staff is changing. Hopefully this is the next kind of wave that settles in for for the future. Yeah. And Door County is not an easy place to just drop into. It it doesn't, any developer would tell you, it doesn't run like a lot of other places because people are very particular about what they want to see in development. People want development, but they want it a certain way in Door County. And it takes a while for people who are used to just coming in and saying, well, what, it's it's good if we bring in a Dollar General, or it's good if we bring in this 
chain store. This is what we do everywhere else. And uh, or a massive development anywhere else is, you know, like a Foxconn. Obviously, that's a, a ridiculous scale to compare to Door County. But in most places, it's an afterthought. Nobody thinks about it. And there isn't like a backlash up here. People watch every development with like a trained eye on it. So yeah, I'd imagine there's a, a bit of culture shock coming from a like a even a similar place is probably very different from from yeah. how it is up here. Yeah, I mean people people protect things up here very tight, and I think to the benefit of the county. But that's got to be hard for somebody who's just trying to be like I'm trying to get you uh, economic growth and tax increment. <laughs> so you it takes a while. That's the problem with having that turnover. And we see it in our office too. You bring a new reporter and it takes a while to understand how this community works and the dynamics of it and um, how how those relationships are built here and all those different factors you have to have at, at the table when you're when you're trying to figure some of this economic development um, issues out. Right. Speaking of the community closely watching development, I've been hearing about this for a while, but this is a really great opportunity for me to learn more and maybe to provide some context. Uh, an application has been filed for the Old Stone Quarry development. Yeah, down at... Uh, if, if people aren't familiar with the Old Stone Quarry, um, it's down by George Penney County Park, which is primarily known as like a, a great place for a boat launch and for fishermen. It's the turnaround point of the Door County Triathlon, where I am standing every year during the Sprint Triathlon. And it's the spot where historically the Latham Smith Quarry has carved out the the bluff side there. So you just see this big rock wall and then above it, it's it's all rock with another rock wall farther back on the east side of the Bayshore Drive outside Sturgeon Bay, probably like five miles outside Sturgeon Bay. So what the development is, is these guys have, uh, these developers have proposed to build a 117 unit RV, like luxury RV park there, just on the top of that quarry. So the upper part overlooking George Penny County Park, you know, it's obviously pretty large. They coined it as a village, you know, so if you're, if you're calling something an RV village, like that's, right. you know, that's substantial density in, in a place where there are massive water concerns and water quality issues everywhere. Not surprisingly, there's been a big backlash because if you're doing this whole thing on exposed stone, what's there to to filter any water, any runoff, any chemicals, anything at all that comes from that property? Interesting. Okay, so I've if you haven't heard about this before, you may have seen like uh, posters or little like campaign posters stuck in yards that are against this. That was my background with it. I knew that it was controversial, but I don't know much about it outside of that. So I guess I want to just lobby the questions that I have at you. Do it. And hopefully we can find some context for this. In terms of location, is this a good spot for development in terms of like it's not something historic or it's not, you know, something natural that we want to protect? Is this a good place for development? That to some degree, that's a personal opinion question. Sure. Is it, you know, I am one to usually be in favor of infill in existing developed areas. Um, so even in Sturgeon Bay, I'm not one who would, if I were waving a wand, I wouldn't look to expand into the countryside in Sturgeon Bay. I'd, I'd try to focus development on the infill in the downtown the areas, in the cores. Same thing in any community, same thing with Sister Bay. That's my preference. But in terms of what's allowed, uh, it's zoned recreational commercial. So it's in the town of Sevastopol. Town of Sevastopol is covered by county zoning. And that also applies to, say, like Town of Gibraltar, Town of Bailey's Harbor. Those are all covered by county zoning. And county zoning there says that recreational commercial is allowed. So what is an RV park? Is it a campground or is it different? It's not a campground 
in the sense of someone can show up with a tent and pitch a tent and just rent a campsite like you would in Peninsula State Park or even some of the RV parks, you can you can do that. This one would not. As they describe this, it's a luxury campground for class A motor coaches. And as they put it in their proposal or application to the county land use resources department, it would be these motor coaches run from several hundred thousand dollars, sometimes to over a million dollars just for the motor coach. And then these people would be able to build units that they would kind of pull up to. So we'll put a, a picture in the Pulse this week and we'll have them online. But it it's almost looks like kind of the Centerpoint Marina type condos where they're, they're small footprint, postage stamp footprints, and they're like two stories. And that would be like a smaller home next to your RV motor coach. Interesting. So when I was growing up, my parents had a camper and we would go to campgrounds and we did seasonal camping. So mm-hmm. we kind of had our own spot that the camper stayed at the whole year. Sure. And and there were people who got really into seasonal camping and they would have decks that were built around their camper yeah. and stuff like that. This is similar in that. But with an RV, it, it's a mobile thing. You're driving it, yes. correct? Yep. So this would be something that you would like pull into like a docking zone. Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, I've, I wrote a story eight or nine years ago about the RV culture up here. Just after going and to a, a party at a friend's place in one of these campgrounds and being like, wow, these things are nice now. Like, this is totally right. different than I I remembered this from when I was a kid. So the RVs are nicer. Gen- we do have a lot of RV parks in Door County. When these things are proposed, people get up in, up in arms and raise a lot of objections that you could look to existing parks. I mean... A quarter mile down the road from our office, there are three RV campgrounds. I've never noticed a traffic problem on this intersection of Highway 57, even though that's the main conduit. So one of the things that people are afraid of on this property is you're going to add so much traffic from all these massive trucks coming and going and all their recreational vehicles. You can look to other areas to see if that is likely to be the case. It's, It's certainly not in downtown Bailey's Harbor. Right. I'm not trying to argue for it. I'm just saying that's the experience here. Sure. And and then the other thing, I don't know that I hear this brought up a lot, but just the first thing that my mind goes to as like a criticism would be like, this is not a trailer park. Yeah. I mean, no, it's not a trailer park. I don't want to like knock trailer parks, but right. I, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. That, that seems to be one of the concerns that people come up with a lot of times. Or even when we talk about yeah. affordable housing and people talk about like poverty housing, it's yeah. like, it, it's one of those like knee jerk reactions that people have. And one of the things that developers are even trying to do to sell this is like, hey, don't worry, this isn't poor people. This is people with lots of money who are going to be, they're going to have over a million dollars invested between their motor coach and the home that will be next to it. Right. Okay. So you mentioned runoff and that kind of stuff. Tell me, I I know that water is a big issue in, you know, Door County, but Wisconsin in general, the whole Great Lakes region. Tell me why, why this proposal particularly might have some challenges in that way. Well, once you, if you're going to build this thing and have all these motor coaches there, you're going to have a lot, like right now it's rock, but there's nothing, there's nothing on that rock to run off from, you know? And then once you build all this, you're going to have homes, you're going to have pavement, you're going to have all the things that come with that, all the things that come with cars and and oil and and gas and all this stuff. So you get that little leaching and runoff into what now you don't have any soil there. They would probably be bringing in soil. I'm sure they would. But how much of that is going to filter on this just big slab of rock and keep it out of the groundwater and, and neighboring wells and of course going right down into the bay because it's right next to to the boat launch. So in terms of criticism, and this part we should maybe specify with, we're really interested in looking at both sides of this development. We want to try to give this story in the best way that we can, but what what are the major points of contention in terms of this development? And I bring this up not as like, this is a bad development, but like, 
every development in Door County, yeah. as we just talked about. It all has pros and cons. Yes, there's going to be pros and cons to everything. And there is a very vocal group that, that speaks out, and a very passionate group of people who want to make sure that things are done well and are done, you know, the right way. And we've seen that a lot, especially this year. What are some of the, the big points of contention for this one specifically? This is one of the most quickly organized opposition groups I've ever seen. And they, they've done a nice job. They've got a, a great website, No Quarry RV Park. It's not so much guiding the development. They don't want it. It's not just the neighbors, although that's a lot of it. It's a lot of people all the way up and down Bayshore Drive from Sturgeon Bay to Egg Harbor. Uh, one, you know, there's the water quality concerns. There is character concerns. People saying this is a historic property and this would ruin this historic property. One flip side to that is like, okay, it's a historic quarry. Should it return to quarrying? <laughs> like, yeah. would you would you rather have them grinding again? The answer to that from talking to those folks is no, but that's a, almost a dangerous way to argue against it is to say like, well, but it's historic for this purpose. Well, that purpose. Right. Well, and then if somebody proposed that now and it was never quarried, <laughs> nobody would say like, hey, let's make this look cool by shearing off the rock. Yeah, that that's such a, a hard one to think about, too, because it's like if you have a historic property that was used for something specific, like I, I go to the granary right away, right? Yeah. There were never plans to restore that into a working granary. And, and oftentimes, historical facilities and stuff never get restored into their original purpose. They usually are yes. repurposed into something else. The question then is like when you have something like this that's kind of a natural area, do you just leave it as it is or do you turn it into something that's mindful of its history? Like I think of Gills Rock. Gills Rock has a lot of like historic fishing stuff there that's not necessarily used for the maritime industry anymore, but it is kept and it is turned into something educational for people to come in and learn the history of. Yeah. So then there's a the question of like, do we turn this whole area into like a big open air museum or do we just put a plaque down that tells the story of it and then leave it at that? Like, is there value in that or does this place get more value out of being repurposed into something that, that people can use and enjoy? Yeah, that's a key question for all of these types of developments. Because I think that you can do either one with varying degrees of success. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can preserve a historic place poorly. Like you can, you can slap a plaque down that tells the story and then leave it at that. And that's not doing anything for anybody. People aren't going to go and learn about this place just by reading the plaque. They could read about the place just as easily online or in the newspaper. Right. So if you're going to preserve something historically and make it an educational place, there's varying degrees of success for that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I always think it's kind of adaptive reuse is a great historical purpose of like if somebody can re restore a building that was once like a town hall, take Ecology Sports old location or Patricia shop, like it's cool. Those are old t town halls that still have life as a business. That business is supporting, preserving that. Right. And a version of that is still there. And then you need to get cool pictures on the wall of what it used to be or what happened there. Um, you're probably going to get more people coming through a place if it's an existing operating business than you are if you just say, all right, it's a museum now. <laughs> like right. Nothing happens here. Right. One of the other big complaints there and concerns is traffic impacts of, you know, when you build a new village there, you're going to have a lot more people coming and going. You're going to add a lot more traffic to the area. That traffic probably wouldn't be in the, you know, RVs don't like come and go. They come up for the season for the most part, and then they leave at the end of the season. But they do have other vehicles. So yes. you would be adding 117 units in that parcel that would then be coming, going, and accessing from whatever way. On the flip side, there are a lot of condo developments that have been built on Bayshore Drive, <laughs> and those add a lot of traffic as well. I mean, everything there may be less visible because they're into the woods, but there there are many condo developments between Sturgeon Bay and Egg Harbor. And I mean, I drive up and down that road because that's like my alternate road all my life between Egg Harbor and Sturgeon Bay if I want to just take a scenic drive. Right. 
I've never noticed a major traffic problem on that drive in my entire life. There is a comp for this development in Heritage Lake in Egg Harbor, 270 units in Old Quarry that was actually run by Parent Construction, which uh, Mike Parent is involved in this development. I can say from my parents live down the road from that, there's not a traffic impact. There's not a, a noise impact related to Heritage Lake that I've ever heard of, but it's not as sensitive an area either. That was a back road that's very rarely traveled between Bailey's Harbor and Egg Harbor, really about a mile and a half outside the town or village of Egg Harbor. So maybe in this case, you have an even more removed place. So right. I, I, And I can definitely see it's a beautiful road. It's a beautiful stretch of the county. You can absolutely see why people would want to limit what happens down there and limit the traffic and I guess you could say the exploitation of the area. Sure. And it's going to be highly visible. There's not a tree on that quarry, obviously. So whatever goes up there is going to be in, in your face right. to a degree. Real quick before we take a break, uh, an application for the development has been filed. What happens next? Um, so since it's in county zoning, the town gets to weigh in on it, but they don't decide. So it goes to the Town of Sevastopol Plan Commission. Uh, their meeting is scheduled for January 14th. They will take public comment. They will take input. Uh, then they make a recommendation to their town board, which their town board can approve that recommendation, and then they forward it to the county. The Door County Resource Planning Commission then reviews it, and they, they can put stipulations. They can limit what they do. They have a lot of leeway to say like what happens and, and doesn't on that on that parcel and with this development. So there's there's a bit of a long road ahead for it. I did talk to the the land use services department. They have gotten more than a hundred different letters and emails about this project, all of them in opposition. Town of Sevastopol board members have also gotten a lot of communication. Again, all of it in opposition so far. There's going to be a tough battle over it. It's a really well-organized group against it with some very good points for limiting it or saying no. Ultimately, like it is someone's property. The, the one way you can 100% determine what happens on it is buying it from that person. So right. um, it has been empty for 20, you know, forever, really. Um, but under this ownership for a couple of decades and nobody has thought to buy it to preserve it yet. And I don't, as far as I know, that's, that hasn't been thrown out on the table. Well, we will keep a close eye on this as it develops further. Uh, now that the granary is kind of quieted down, we're going to need something to talk about every couple of weeks. Yeah. So uh, this will be an interesting one to cover. Why don't we take a break, Miles? And then when we come back, uh, this week is the Pulse's 2019 year in review. So we'll talk about some of the, the biggest articles and stories that have come out this year and, uh, and what this year has kind of given us and what we have to look forward to in 2020. Grace, there is nothing that I love more than lighthouses and state parks. Oh my gosh, no way, me too. I just wish that there was, I don't know, some sort of way that I could capture my love for those things in a, in a physical way that maybe I could put on the wall or something. Well, you are in luck, my friend. Uh, if you visit DoorCountyPulse.com slash shop, you can find exactly those items. You mean we actually put together a series of state park posters and an incredible collection of lighthouses all in one piece of artwork that you can buy online? That we did, Andrew. That we did. I didn't know that we had an online shop. What else can I get there? You can also buy some Paul stickers, Door County Living stickers. You can subscribe to Door County Living or the Peninsula Pulse if you are not in Door County. You can buy our annual Door Wedding Guide. 
And you can also buy uh, Lighthouse postcards if you do not want the full poster, but might want to add a little something-something in your gift package. I'm looking at the shop right now, and I just noticed that we have Peninsula Pulse hats with the dog logo and everything. Grace, I think I am sold. Uh, where can I go to find all of this stuff one more time? You can visit www.doorcountypulse.com slash shop. If you happen to be up in Door County for the holidays and you want to buy a lighthouse poster or one of our series of state park posters, why not stop into the office and uh, chat with us? We'd be happy to set you up with something. Okay, we are back. Miles, can you believe that in like two weeks it's going to be 2020? That does sound really weird now that you say that. Doesn't it sound like like it's a fake... It's a fake year that, like, that's a year that sci-fi has used forever. It's like, in the year 2020. It's like, that's not real. I'm still, like, it, it's, it seems like a moment ago that we were worrying about the Y2K bug and right. the, the world exploding. Yeah, it's going to be 20. I, I was just thinking, you know, I just had my son, and I was talking with Aaliyah kid, and, like, our kids are going to graduate in, like, 2038 or something like that's that. so weird. It's not, like, a real number. I was like, our yeah. kids gonna are gonna live to see like twenty fifty. That's so <laughs> weird to think about. Like, we're gonna live to see twenty fifty. Hopefully, that's, yeah, yeah. That's hopefully, wild. The, hopefully the planet does. We'll, yeah, it well, that's the seen. other thing. Well, there is that that ticking clock. Uh, so today, as the pulse comes out, uh, this is the twenty nineteen year in review. A uh, bunch of interesting stories. One of the things that I always go back to uh, when we talk about this is like. Is it weird to look at stories of the year and be like, I can't believe that that was this year. It seems like it was so long ago. Absolutely. Um, one that comes to mind, uh, we do in memoriams every year. We just try and recognize some of the people we lost that played a prominent role in the county in their lives. And one of those this year was Doug Buchart. And to, he died early, like in February of last year or of this year. Yeah. And it just seemed like longer ago for some reason. I'm like, oh man, that was this year too. And it was just such a bummer because... Not long before he passed, we got an opportunity to sit down with him for a couple of hours right. in, in his home in Fish Creek and talk to him about his, his time at Thumb Fun and everything that transpired there over four decades and, and really his wistfulness talking about wishing he could be there again right now, even as he was like 88 years old. So yeah, the in memoriams always kind of bring it back for me. It's like, oh man, that that guy, oh, she died? That's terrible. Like Rita, right. Rita Willems, another one we interviewed. So um, we lost some good ones this year. Yeah. And it, the other big part of this is going through and finding out what the, the biggest stories of the year were. Do you use like the website algorithms to, to determine what like our most trafficked stories are? Yeah, there's kind of, um, you know, we have, there's two audiences. Uh, obviously the print version, you don't exactly know what is the most read article. You can, you can guess them I and we put things prominently or, or not prominently, um, and you can get feedback, but obviously when it's on the web, we can look at the data and see like how many people read this. And that probably correlates a lot to print. But one of the things that that's always interesting to see, like, all right, what were people, when you look at it over the course of a year, what did people really gravitate to on the web? And this was the first year in several years that it wasn't the Granary and the Sturgeon Bay controversy, sure. in part because that quieted down. And I think in part because people were they're just exhausted by it. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's hard to follow at a certain point. You're like, oh, God, we're still talking about this? Right. Well, like, and other I controversies thought... kind of rose to the top, too. So people yeah. had their attentions diverted to some other things. What were some of those big issues, some of those big articles that were that were written and, and read? There were a lot of Fish Creek-related stories this year, um, not just related to the controversy at the Redmond property, but that was one of the biggest stories of the year. 
when the the town voted not to purchase that property. Obviously, we covered that a lot. But then also there were other Fish Creek related stories, the the beach progress and the bathrooms down there. I mean, and all the development in yeah. Fish Creek. Another one of those on. that's like, I can't believe that was this year. Yeah. I mean, we'd probably started talking about it in the winter. Yeah, maybe even the year before yeah. when they were when they first had votes about that bathroom project. Right. You know, development issues are always big. The door hotel, you see it on Facebook a lot, like just the amount of like anything gets proposed and it's lights a firestorm. Um, Dollar General was a big one, even though that was only a couple of weeks ago that got yeah. a lot of play. And then deaths and, and traffic accidents. Like, you know, I kind of forgot that this happened this year too, but uh, a man tragically fell while taking a photo at Cave Point County Park oh, yeah. uh, late last winter. And, and that one was actually the most trafficked one on the web this year. Uh, not, not necessarily like a big story that we followed, obviously, week to week, month to month, but that one, you know, so many people around the state have ties to Door County. So when something like that happens up here, it probably draws an inordinate amount of traffic compared to like the same thing happening in another community just because people are like, oh, something happened in Door County, this place that I have this connection to. Right. So. Now, one thing that I'm curious about, maybe we could spend, I don't know, do like a <laughs> sentence each on each of those big things in terms of what has happened since then. Because my, my big question is like, the granary moved back and then we stopped talking about it for a little bit. Like it got really quiet. I know that the next thing is with the West Waterfront Redevelopment Project, the granary will come back. Uh, it'll, it'll, we'll be talking about it again in terms of if it moves again or if it stays where it is planted right now. Uh, but has anything really happened since it moved back? So it, it is kind of funny that it's, it's calmed down so much in part because, I mean, the, the Historical Society is still doing updates every week uh, or every every common council meeting, so every other week. But it has calmed down because they're trying to figure out what's going to happen with that West Waterfront development proposal. So I'd say that's in sort of an inertia right now because they're just going to, the immediate plan is to complete the promenade along the water, like right up to the water's edge, and then slowly figure out what to do with the rest of that parcel. I think there's still some legal things that need to be sorted out on where that high water mark is and like end the legal battles, and then it would move forward. What about the Fish Creek bathrooms? So we talked about it a lot before it was built, and then it was built, and they built that little like tiny parking lot. It's like a weird little triangle thing that you can kind of pull into. It's very weird. I've never used it because it freaks me out a little bit. We should probably do a video about it. It makes sense. It it does make sense if you if you if you know the story, but uh, looking at it most people are like, how are you you got to pull in and then back in. Right. And it makes sense in the sense of it reduces the amount of impervious surface you need at a parking lot like that, but that's another story for another time and probably best done through a video. Yeah, um, you can you can really see it out the windows of the Blue Horse. Yeah, you, you get a really good kind of bird's eye view of it. It is weird to see people try to navigate that and figure yeah. it out. They, they're going to need some signage. <laughs> yeah, but has there has there been anything since the the bathrooms went up? The beach was. I do believe uh, the bathroom. I, I they flush, as best I know. Good. Um, no, that's good. Well, my question is like the the beach basically opened this year, and did it open to great success, or was it just kind of like, hey, the beach is done? I think 10 years from now, we're probably going to go, why were people, why was this such a big deal at the time? Yeah. But, you know, in the moment, there were so many delays. It was supposed to be open by the beginning of July. It didn't open until mid-August. It didn't take the look that a lot of people thought it was going to have. And then you add to that the high water that basically eliminated all the sand there. Yeah. There's nothing the town can do about that. That's happening everywhere. I, I was looking at pictures yesterday from 
the Jacksport area of people who are just watching their their yard get carved away a, a couple of feet every every day almost. But since there essentially is no sand beach there, just because the water's so high, it makes everything look even smaller and worse. Right. I think, you know, maybe the water's always going to be that high, but if it does go back down, it'll it probably will make more sense. I don't know if the the high water like high water stories that you've written or that have been written this year have kind of made it onto the year in review at all. Have they? Oh yeah, I mean okay. that was. That's a big one for conversation every day, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that was going to be my question because I know that we don't talk about it a ton on the podcast because it's a really tough thing to talk about, like to absorb uh, through an audio medium. It's like, oh, the water's a high. What does that mean? Uh, but we have made videos about this. So yeah. if you go on DoorCountyPulse.com and go to the video section, you will see some videos that show before and after, like from a couple of years ago, drone photos of the same spot now. And you'll be able to see like physically how much higher the water level is. Yeah. And now that that'll be something we're talking about all year next year, because as of now, they're saying it could rise 12 to 15 more inches. Maybe that's in the high end. Maybe it goes back down. Probably not. But if it if it does go up, I talked to somebody yesterday who got a quote for trying to put some riprap in to protect their shoreline. $60,000. No way they can foot that bill. I talked to some engineering experts last week about you know, some people are trying to save their boathouses. And this person was like, you know, the way it looks, don't spend a lot of money to save your $10,000 boathouse down by the water because you're probably going to lose it anyway. But <laughs> so even if you put in all the riprap, you might want to do that to try and preserve your shoreline. But you're not going to, you're probably not going to save that boathouse. The water's going up no matter what. Right. Um, there's a couple other things that I've been thinking a lot about with the the rising water levels. Years ago, the Army Corps of Engineers dredged the St. Clair River over in Michigan. And then when they did a, a massive study of the Great Lakes, they determined that most of the water level drop in the 2006 to 2013 range was due to a lack of precipitation, lack of snow, and lack of ice cover on the lakes. But 9 to 18 inches was due to the dredging of that St. Clair River, where it just kind of pulled water out of Lake Michigan and Lake Huron, which are one body of water for geological purposes. So imagine 9 to 18 more inches. Right. Like if that dredging hadn't taken place, I mean, you'd be talking massive panic and highways underwater in many parts of Door County. Right. Uh, any other big stories from the year or big takeaways from looking at the year in review? Oh, yeah, one major one that I, I totally forgot about, Pebble Beach getting preserved was right. massive news this year. And good news. You know, a lot of like your top articles from a year are either tragedies or controversies. And this one was a universally, almost universally beloved move of, you know, people pitching in, land trusts working with the village to preserve a piece of property, not for economic development, not for creating a new park or new use, but just saying, hey, this is a beautiful spot. This means a lot to a lot of people. Let's not lose it. Right. Yeah, people do tend to flock to the controversies or the the sad or the macabre stories. When when a puppy gets adopted, you don't see a hundred Facebook comments. But when <laughs> Dollar General is coming into your village, then you do. So that, that is good. It's a good note to kind of leave off on. Uh, we will, of course, do our podcast year in review uh, in a couple of months when we get to the second anniversary of the podcast. We've got to do a lot of really cool stuff on the podcast this year. We've got to talk to a lot of really interesting people. We really kicked up the initiative to interview local business owners and people doing stuff up here. Uh, so we've been able to share a lot of stories in that way. Uh, and it's been really great. Well, and, and you know, some of those stories, 
some people might wonder, like, why do you always talk to these restaurateurs or, or food people? And we do that a lot in our, on the other weekly podcasts and the one-on-one episodes. And the other thing that comes out when I look at the year in review, people love food. Yeah. Uh, a lot of our top stories um, and most read stories week to week are stories about where you can eat, what's opening up, um, profiles on chefs or bartenders or the owners. And so those those people, people find them really interesting uh, and they're a big part of this community and they're a big part of like our day to day here. Um, and yeah, it's just kind of interesting to look through the yearly results and, and see just how much people do like that content. Right. Before we wrap up, uh, do you have any personal anecdotes about 2019? Do you have a favorite story that you've written or an experience that you've had this last year? One thing that will be out in this week's issue is not one of my stories, but Celeste Benchowell wrote a story about Ben Anderson, who's a kid I used to coach. And I mentioned him in my year in review column, the intro to it, just because I think it's a great, inspiring story to cap the year, but also to get people thinking about how they want to be in the year ahead. Uh, this kid is 24. I coached him when he was a freshman basketball player, and he was like probably as polite a kid as I've ever coached. Goofy, just improved the atmosphere of the gym every single day he walked in. He befriended Bo Johnson, who was uh, Annika Johnson's son, who passed away in, in one of the um, saddest stories that I've ever seen here, but also one of the most inspiring because this kid was 13 years old and basically said like, don't be sorry for me, just be better to each other, kind of was his overall message. And Ben took that to heart. And on December 5th, he went in and donated a chunk of his liver to a three-year-old boy who he didn't even know. Mm. Um, and Celeste did, wrote a great feature story uh, for this week's issue about Ben and what inspired him to do this and and just kind of the person he is. And I think, you know, as I was writing about that this morning, it's just, it's it's a great example in a community where people give so much of their time, of their money. And then you have a kid like him who literally gives a piece of himself to somebody um, so that they can have a chance at a better life. It's just a really inspiring thing. And, and I mean, you talk about giving gifts around Christmas and the holidays and you can't do any better than that. Right. Well, Miles, I think that's just about going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much for chatting with me. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. We've got, what, one more episode, one more Friday podcast before 2020. So I'll see you next week, but not next year. Yeah. <laughs> All right. See you next week, Andrew. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit DoorCountyPulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.